indifference on one side, maybe anxiety on the other. Maybe some people we might think are overreacting, others underreacting. My uh, parents are medical professionals, and this week they sent me this article that was kind of summarizing some things going on. And and, uh, the epidemiologist that was writing this article, his quote at the beginning is, everything we do before a pandemic will seem alarmist. Everything we do after will seem inadequate. And trying to find some middle ground is really hard for lots of leaders. So I think we need to be praying for people. And I know this week at at All Saints, we've tried to navigate a wise middle ground. Pray for us, um, as we certainly will be praying for all of you. Um, I know personally, I hunger for more information at every moment to try to stay on top of what's happening. And there's kind of this fixed forward gaze of, preparation of asking questions. Will my family have what they need? How quickly will this thing spread? Will quarantining ourselves slow these things down? For some of us who maybe are part of a more vulnerable demographic, uh, there may be very legitimate kinds of fear and anxiety. Um, And for others as well, will this lead to mass chaos? Will I be able to have the food and water that my kids need or um, I need? And, and in the midst of that, we come and worship, and I think what, um, what I felt God saying to me this morning in terms of what to, what to communicate is this time here is a time of recalibration. Instead of just this fixed forward gaze, God calls us to remember, to remember him, and to remember a couple key things. Um, we, we are looking maybe just to survive. We're looking for things like water. And God says to us, I am the living water. I am with you. Remember me. So I, I just briefly want to point to uh, two examples of remembering in Scripture this morning that I, I hope can comfort you and, um, and just proclaim the good news of Christ's presence with us right now. The first is from Exodus 17. I'm sure... Many of us know this story well. The Israelites are in the desert. They uh, just came out of Egypt. They are thirsty. There's no water for them to drink. They start quarreling with Moses. They ask, where is this water? Moses says, why quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? What's fascinating about this whole scene is Israel, uh, it doesn't tell the exact timeline, but Israel just moments before in the, the scripture itself, came out of Egypt. There's this miraculous parting of the Red Sea. Um, God has faithfully cared for them. They're hungry. God feeds them manna. And then here we are, next couple verses. God, give us water. And, um, and so God tells Moses to take his staff, which is the same staff that was used to part the seas. And he says, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And of course, he hits the rock and the water comes out and the people have what they need. I think it's just stunning to think of Moses grabbing this staff and God saying, show this to the people. It's this physical reminder of his faithfulness. And even if we forget, it's, look, this just happened. This staff just parted the seas and you've already forgotten. And I think for us this morning, seeing that baptismal font, seeing the altar, seeing the cross, knowing God's presence is with us, that he's going to be with us and for us no matter what happens. 
He's calling us to remember him, remember his faithfulness that he will give us living water. Remember. John 4, another uh, example of remembrance for us this morning. This, uh, the, the words that stick out to me in, in, uh, in John 4 um, are the words of the Samaritan woman, this woman who doesn't really know who she's dealing with and who, who she's interacting with. And within moments, she comes from this place of, of not knowing how much she needs God to, to being able to say, with a, you know, there's a sense of yearning in her voice. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Give me this eternal water that gives me life. I think what, uh, what else astounds me about this passage is that the testimony that she gives to people when she shares the good news of receiving this water, it's maybe a little bit different than the way I typically or I personally would share good news. The good news that she shares with people is he helped me remember. He told me all that I did. But all that she did isn't good news. It's, it's, a, it's a tough message because this is a woman who's a very public sinner in many ways. She's at the well at the sixth hour, it says at the beginning of the passage. Um, the best way of understanding this that I can find, and, and um, many Bible scholars point to this, is that the sixth hour is the middle of the day. It's the heat of the sun. Um, it's very unusual for someone to be at the well in the middle of the day. Usually they'd be at the morning or at the end of the day. So she's there in the heat of the sun uh, by herself because she's ostracized from the rest of the community. She's not someone who uh, other people want to be around. And most likely that's because she's an adulteress of some kind or she's been unfaithful. She's had five marriages. This is shameful. She's had a dark past. And then a couple verses later, we find that the good news she is sharing with people is that God help me remember who I am. That God help me remember that I am this person. That's the good news. This w- woman's hope is in Christ. But, and, and this woman's hope is in this message uh, that she is a sinner because she realizes that recognizing that, that remembering that is what gives her eternal life. So these two kinds of remembering. First, remembering God's faithfulness. Second, remembering who we are before God. Remembering is central to our liturgy every week. You hear these words, and you will hear hear these words throughout Lent when we're using the Anglican Standard Text for our Eucharistic prayer. Therefore, O Lord and Heavenly Father, according to the institution of your dearly beloved Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, we, your humble servants, celebrate and make here before your divine majesty with these holy gifts, the memorial your son commended us to make, remembering his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, his promise to come again. This is what we do at church as we remember God's faithfulness. But it's not just looking to the past. It's God making his presence fully known to us now of being fully with us. It's reorienting our whole selves in this time of fear and forward-looking of kind of this single-minded forward focus of come and remember. Right now, the entire globe is looking forward. And maybe for good reason. Yes, for good reason. This is wise for us to do this, to prepare. But the news of this morning and the news of Christ's gospel is that he's been preparing us all along 
we need to prepare, yes, for um, COVID-19, but God has been preparing us all along. Lent is about us preparing. Every time we practice Lent, we are preparing. You are but dust, and to dust you shall return. COVID-19 is that, right? It's you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. It's all about human frailty. And, and Lent is us preparing. We've been doing it for a long time. None of us can promise, no, no priest can promise anyone's health or safety this weekend. That's not our jobs. Our job is to help remember, help us remember, to help us remember God's faithfulness and our frailty and to point us to this table. We remember that Jesus Christ is the rock in the desert from whom streams of living water flow. He is the well that the, the woman at the well is at, seeking life eternal. We are prepared. This is our preparation. I want to uh, conclude by sharing uh, just two brief quotes that have stuck with me this week. I, I'm sure some of you have been reading um, different things that are circulating online in terms of Christian responses to this particular cultural moment we're in. There was two that, that stuck out to me and I think highlight some of these remembering themes. The first is uh, one from C.S. Lewis. Again, some of you may have, may have heard this, but I'm going I'm to read it to you because I think it's really powerful. And the second is from a bishop in uh, the Anglican Church in North America. C.S. Lewis. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. He's talking here about the atomic bomb, but it will sound familiar, I think. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply... Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. I know one of the reasons I became an Anglican is because we are people who remember. We don't forget what has come before and we remember God's faithfulness. And C.S. Lewis is helping us do that, to remember that God has been with people before and we've seen many terrible things. Back to, back to his words. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. You are but dust, and to dust you shall return. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. And we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb or by COVID-19 or by some microbe or by some virus, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, worshiping, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pine and a game of darts or maybe Skype or maybe uh, over the phone for us in this particular moment, not huddled together 
like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. These things very well may break our bodies. We're not hiding away from that. But they need not dominate our minds. And uh, here's some words from our uh, a bishop in our diocese in, in uh, the Anglican Church of North America, Bishop Todd Hunter with Churches for the Sake of Others. I think uh, some of these, these things that C.S. Lewis is talking about in terms of going about our normal lives and trusting in God, not, not huddling in fear, I think Bishop Todd helps point us in a, in a missional direction in terms of how we live faithfully during this time. I encourage you to see this as a missional opportunity. If we cease gathering for a period of weeks, we have not stopped being the church. His diocese, they chose not to meet, and we don't know what will come if something like that, you know, the, the governor or would call us to that. Um, so we want to be prepared. But we are ever more poignantly the church, serving others by denying ourselves. Love and service for the most vulnerable are the reasons we are changing our behavior, not pressure or fear. That's very much true for us. Whatever we do, Love and service for the most vulnerable is why we're doing what we're doing. As a lay person, so this is for all of us and, and all of you, you can help us, your priests, by finding ways to care for the vulnerable in your community. For instance, you can develop a team to do errands and grocery shopping for elderly people or those who are particularly vulnerable, afraid to go out. You can serve children from local elementary schools who are missing meals due to school closures. You can take your place as chaplains, heels, caregivers to those no one else will touch. People will be looking to you as members of the church for God's consolation, peace, joy, and love. We are not abandoning the playing field. We are restructuring to serve well in this moment in history. At a time like this, it is normal to feel confused and scared. And this situation is indeed serious. But I invite you to commit to practicing the, the sacrament of this present moment, which is what the Eucharist is. It is Christ who we remember being made to us in the present. He is with us. God is with you. He is with us here and he's with us now. Find the goodness of God in this moment, neither longing for the past or worrying about the future. The present is the only space in which we have to love God and neighbor. And God calls us to remember him here and now, even as we look forward. Let me close us in prayer. O Lord, you who are the refuge of the poor and needy, we ask that you would save us from the pestilence that stalks in the darkness and the plague that destroys at midday. Be our sun and our shield, be our fortress, be our comfort this day. May we not fear any evil, but rather trust in your might to save and your wisdom to guide so that we may rest always in the shadow of the Almighty. In the name of the one who heals our diseases, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.